This is a, a different episode for Sligo Science Podcast. It's been a while. The main reason why it is a different one, it's because it's about um, a good friend of mine that passed away around this time 10 years ago. Neil McGarry really wanted to do something um, just to kind of put a kind of a stamp on making people aware of how how much of an impact a person can have on you. Especially the way it is at the moment with COVID and people are freaking out. Jobs and, you know, family. Um, it's a kind of a good reminder that, you know, some people that mightn't be with us, um, it's good to appreciate the fact that, you know, people still have fond memories of people and always good times, sometimes even the best of times. And it's a good chance for me anyway to kind of uh, talk fondly of Mr. McGarry. You'll probably hear me call him McGarry more than Neil. I think it was just a thing that we always used to do. I think it's maybe it's a Sligo thing. Everybody called each other by their second name. Is that a thing? I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, this is really just to kind of appreciate, I guess, to see how people are and, you know, just people are thinking about other people regardless of social media and uh you know the world seems very distant between everybody at the moment regardless of even if you know someone down the road or people seem more far apart than really the the should be so this is really just just a kind of a a reminder of um appreciate your your family and your friends and your neighbors because it's a good thing so in this episode as i will be talking about mcgarry um what I'll do is that I'll actually play some songs that I found just really just to kind of hear random stuff about even like when a musician is starting. Um, it might be cool for people to actually hear random sounds and tunes that uh, people kind of come up with just to kind of find how to kind of play guitar and how to do it. So, um, yeah, I found some really interesting stuff. Uh, so, as I said, you'll hear different bits of music in between when I'm talking about certain things so Neil passed away or McGarry passed away 10 years ago October 28th 2010 he was he was a, a character to say the least he always had a cheeky smile on him I uh, should even talk about I guess how how maybe I met him that might be a bit more cheerful we all went to school um, in Summerhill um, and I knew Neil, he was a a tasty footballer back in St. John's in Sligo, back in primary school. And uh, I, I always remember him with his uh, dirty bolto penalties. He uh, he played for a lot of football teams around Sligo. Um, I think it was the same as myself that we kind of, once we got into secondary school, we started listening to a lot more music, um, picking up the guitars. I personally couldn't play a lot of the stuff that I heard because I just, I think I was always a, a person that wanted to do my own thing, especially with music. So I kind of started writing my own stuff because I was, couldn't play Hendrix, couldn't play Zeppelin, Lizzie at the time. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of the musicians around Sligo, around my age, we tended to just start playing um, our own stuff. 
Um, even though a lot of it did sound, for me anyway, it did sound pretty much like Nirvana, Beatles, anything we could, we had our hands on. We used to do that a lot. And I think it was, I'm not entirely sure what, it could have been 94, 95, probably 95 actually. Um, we started getting together, meeting up with other people that we were playing with. The the May like yeah we we kind of started playing a lot with different bands. There was so many musicians around at the time. There's too many to mention, but yeah we we kind of all had a fondness for just kind of wanting to play music. I guess it's the way most people start out is that they just want to play. Yeah the the talent competition I guess was really one of those ones that myself and Neil kind of started really playing together. But yeah the second year of the talent competition we we. Uh, we had a full band and we used to practice down in um, Nile Winter's garage. Um, there was myself, Neil, um, Nile Winter's, there was Daryl Neil, um, there was Kane Flynn, Paul Kyo, uh, Leslie Jones, Jonathan Conway. We were all trying to get a band together just to kind of show off what, what kind of we wanted to do. And I, th- I do remember we were allowed to do our own songs. So I think we performed myself, one of the bands we were in, myself, McGarry, Kane Flynn, and uh, Nile Winters. We uh, played uh, one of our first songs, one of the first songs that Neil showed me. It was called Always 17. Oddly enough, we were, obviously we were 17 at the time, but it was that kind of anthemic kind of youth gone wild <laughs> kind of feel to it we kind of tended to play a lot of that rebel kind of stuff uh yeah we kind of saw i think uh we did it as an instrumental because neil didn't want to sing he just wanted to play the guitar i think i was only starting to sing because i realized i was probably a better um at singing and playing the odd chord than actually kind of doing full-on guitar solos and stuff so we did that, um, and that was our first kind of hands-on experience of playing in front of a crowd, practicing, the sound checking, all the stuff that comes with, with being a musician. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we Yeah, there's some great memories of that.
when I was actually kind of messing around with all this kind of the 10 year anniversary things been popping up a lot over the past couple of months especially for myself and some of um uh the people that would would know McGarry have been talking to me and we've been talk I've been talking to them about it and um yeah I kind of started looking through um old CDs and tapes finding a lot of stuff like I, I found tapes of myself and McGarry up in his house recording on uh, his parents Des and Phil his uh, parents um, hi-fi I was just sticking a mic into the into the mic le- into the mic input and just sitting down on the ground and recording at the time it was uh, we were already planning on getting demos sorted I mean this is well before internet which a lot of the stuff that you have now you can kind of easily record stuff but i mean yeah we were recording on tape going back and i yeah it's just just kind of i haven't listened to those in years so it's kind of fun to kind of find uh neil um for example playing i think he had a four track he got for christmas or a birthday or he he might have gotten it off someone I'm, i'm not too sure but um yeah he bought a wah pedal and he was absolutely blitzing away at that for a good couple of weeks before he'd even shot at one of our rehearsals and uh yeah i actually found i think it was the first recording that he did with the wah pedal um it's just it's just great to to hear like being back at around maybe 16 17 to kind of hear someone kind of finding their way not even musically but just even trying to get their head out of the the woods as such and trying to find their own kind of sound or even find themselves so it was really really cool to kind of hear that Recording-wise, yeah, we, we, we used to do it a lot. Any any tape deck that we could find, we, we used to just record. And obviously, years as the years went on, we uh, Neil got obsessed with like recording laptop and Pro Tools and all that kind of stuff. So we used to always kind of call up to him um, and start recording stuff. Could take 15, 16 hours of recording absolute uh, mayhem. Um, and I'd apologize to Des and Phil for that. Yeah, it was a great way to kind of just hang out. I mean, at the time, we were all kind of looking to to kind of just play music and stuff. But when you kind of look back now, people don't... I, I don't think people bond as much as that anymore. Um, I, I Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I think it's one of those things that people like to... You know, it's finding that kind of thing of why why do people hang out with, with people? And I guess it's just enjoying people's company makes you laugh makes you feel safe, makes you feel happy. 
And I think uh, I especially, from my own personal experience, had that with Neil. We, uh, I don't think we ever fell out, except I think when we, we used to decide, when we used to kind of put up our, our tapes and hand them out to people, we used to argue about whose name would be first on the songwriting credits. And uh, we used to always joke about saying, you know, it's kind of like Lennon and McCartney. But uh, nobody likes McCartney, so we were both Lennon. So I think we did come to an agreement that we kind of said we just kind of whoever had the tape kind of got the 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 their name first on on it. Like it was you know really innocent stuff. But um, yeah, we used to always joke about that. Even years later, it was always a funny thing that you know I was like we're both Lennon because nobody likes McCartney. <laughs> so I talked with Paddy Curley, good friend of mine. Um, good friend of Neil's um, yeah and we just talked about Neil and uh, different stories about him so here's Paddy Curley what memory do you have of McGarry one of the first ones first memory it's I mean I've been thinking about this obviously recently um, and I don't know I suppose in that strange way that and that people who are very important in your life or who have a very big presence in your life, it's sometimes kind of difficult to to remember where you first met them. Uh, uh, yes, in that there, there, there is the impression that they're always just kind of there. Yeah. I know we sort of vaguely knew each other when we were very young, but weren't really hanging around. And I think it was in art class in Summerhill College that is that we became mates um and pretty much because we had a as, had a very similar sense of humor um but yeah no i would say it was art class in summerhill that this and that probably that we kind of started to hang out was he any good at art <laughs> he was he was excellent at art actually actually that was one of those things because we both liked it um, we were both kind of there and and into it and a pair of messers, but um, but we liked what we were doing, and he was very good at it. I mean, he was very good at this at what he did. Very fine painter, very a very fine sculptor, actually. Mm. Um, so so yeah, yeah. Um, is there any stories you'd like to share about Neil or McGarry? Any stories that yes, and that are broadcast friendly that uh, that I can. Actually, it was Halloween night, just because I still have the ticket. Uh, October 31st, 1998, uh, where The Exorcist had finally been released legally in Ireland. And it was the first time that we, and that we had gone off, that we got to see it in a cinema. And we all went. I mean, this is our whole crew went along to that. No, yeah, this, I mean, yeah, that's coming back, particularly this, this time of year. Yeah, um, he was a big fan of the Halloween thing anyway. Like, I do know it was. He always wanted to do fancy dress or do a gig or something like that in terms of having the Halloween thing. Like, but yeah, yeah, um, big fan just till dawn. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, sure, <laughs> yeah, when he started playing all the all the songs from that, what was the band? I can't remember the name, but yeah, he loves loved that himself and, and Dave. Dave, David Roach did that the whole time, like playing that. It's, yeah, it's quality. Well, I mean, I suppose I do. Yes, like I do remember uh, playing playing music with him in my in my very brief rock and roll career as a singer. Mm -hmm. um, but always like 
there were a lot of good players about, and particularly it, it's like amongst our crew, there were a lot of really good players around. Yeah. But McGarry just had the touch. He had that this and that extra thing, the thing that you can't really kind of teach anybody, or it's it's just he had that thing, and he was always just like he was a great instinctive player where he'd know where you were going with something and he could follow that and then he'd pick up and lead it and take it somewhere else. Mm. So, I mean, he was a real beauty to to play music with. Um, but yeah, like that that's even, I mean, that pretty much sums up exactly why I think I uh, started playing with him because, well, e- even I do say that I do, back when we were first starting, as you said, there was a lot of, talented heads around that were doing everything and anything and sure i could barely even remember chords never mind so i presume that mcgarry kind of took the same buzz as me that we'd kind of go well rather than trying to play the stuff that we we think that we're supposed to have to play to get gigs we just do our own stuff and i think that's how it kind of it was more of an of a, <laughs> a motivational ignorance as such. Like they were trying to, screw that, we could just make our own chords. It's like, yeah, we could just play our own songs. We can write our own tunes. You know, yeah. kind of come up where we did kind of do that. I think there was a bit of freedom out of that. It was kind of really cool to always just know. And as you said, the instinct thing with himself, he used to do that. I remember even, you <clears> know, break, like break it down. You'd break it down and he'd put his hand up when he's playing the guitar and he'd kind of put his hand and he'd start going down slowly, kind of going, bring it down, bring it down. And then he'd just yeah. start headbanging and then rocking around the stage and kind of messing around. Even, well, even in a rehearsal, even if it was just me and him with acoustics, he'd still be doing the hand rising and then drop the hand. It's like, you know, dropping the bass kind of thing. Like, but yeah, there was a lot, of, a lot of that. I think I really did enjoy the kind of freedom to be able to do that. Not a lot of people, I guess, get to really do that until later until the but we had it from the get-go it was that kind of thing that i think we did find playing together was such an easy thing and yeah you kind of take that for Mm. granted i mean i can say from and obviously my uh, my rock and roll career is is far behind me but but i never i mean never since played with anybody like him or sang with anybody like him for that instinctive thing. I mean, it was really extraordinary. I also, I do remember being a student and obviously was in, would have been in the company of musicians is quite a lot and playing David Bowie covers. And I remember McGarry coming up to visit and they all thought that they were pretty decent players. They were pretty decent players, but I remember McGarry taken into the opening chords of Ziggy Stardust and he just floored them. <laughs> because there was just that extra thing. He just had that extra thing in it that they're looking at and going, where is this guy coming out of? It was always, yeah. He was just one of those heads that he had the touch, as you said. Like he, he was very surgical when it came to some things. And it, it was a breeze to him. That was the thing as well. Is there anything that people might not have known about him? He had a small scar on his right index finger. <laughs> Do you know why? Yeah, I don't, because I, I did ask him about it. And anytime, this is anytime you'd ask, he, uh, I think he'd have a slightly different version of, uh, of, of what was going on. But yeah, no, it was a small scar on his finger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I actually remember that, but yeah, I don't know. I suppose it's it's ten years since then, and. 
that's gone by in a blink. So it's all very strange. But I will tell you and tell you a small story. Uh, not long. It was within the first year after he had died. And I remember I was walking along the Strand Hill Road one of the days and the sun was in my eyes, so I couldn't see, but there was somebody coming towards me. And just from, from the shape, and, and they had long hair. Yeah, it, was, it was like the shoulder length hair. And my head automatically went, oh, there's McGarry. <laughs> and so you kind of slow down as you're kind of prepping for a chat. And then, of course, the reality comes crashing in, and obviously it was it was somebody else. It was not him, and they and they walked on by. And there was tiny little things like that, and there was there was a lot of those you know, around that time, over the first year, in the first couple of years. Yeah, but I, I I guess it's it's kind of good to have that reminder. I like, you know, like just those little things. They're not necessarily sad. They, they do kind of yeah. give you a bit of a shake in terms of, you know, like I guess everybody kind of has that buzz where they kind of go off that deep end in terms of not thinking about anything else. But then when you do stop thinking about it and then you get caught out, it's not, yeah. not necessarily a sad thing. The one thing I would say is that it, I, I can't believe how lucky um, we are in terms of Whit McGee that he did have music that he did record yeah that, that's the one thing like listening through the tapes and the cds and the random stuff that i found um it's 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 it is like a time warp just stepping back in time hearing just even him talking and shouting and laughing and laughing yeah well that was one of the i mean very late on one of the last things that I did, he had written a script for a radio show. Yeah. And this is, he had said, I'll send it on to you and take a look and see what you think. And it was, it was unfinished. So it was just, I think there were four scenes. There might've been five scenes in it. And it was, just, and it was comedy and it was, and it was very Neil McGarry comedy. So he said, what, well, I mean, will we do something? What do you want to do? So I said, well, what, what we'll do is I'll come up, we'll sit down, and I'll read through it. Basically, I play all the parts and, and do a lot of silly voices and we'll see, and, and it might generate some ideas and we might see where it goes or whatever. But he recorded that session. Oh, no way. I don't know where, it, I don't know whether it, it, it still exists. It probably doesn't, it's, yeah, I mean, it's probably gone away. But what I think, if it does exist, it, it may not, it's probably about 98% us laughing. Okay? It was us just cracking up. And that was like, could this is, I couldn't hold it together, couldn't hold it. Because that's that's another thing with this is with McGarry all the way along, where he'd shoot you a look and it would make you roar. You just, just because you knew what he was thinking, you know? And he just gave you a look out of the corner of his eye and you're like, oh, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we kind of did a lot of stuff on our own um, for a while and then I think after uh, we left school Neil went to went to Maynooth for college and uh, I kind of went off and did my own thing I was in Sligo still so he kind of uh, was still recording doing some quirky dance stuff that he was he was doing at the time and playing guitar over it and kind of messing around with that but after um, after he got back from college um, 
we kind of got together again and kind of decided that we we might as well give it a, a real go so we um he he moved to dublin um or thereabouts around it he stayed in dublin actually um and i ended up moving up to dublin um and we formed uh what is known as now as the burning shades which was a weird uh name but it was kind of a thing of um the shadow that has fire in it it was kind of supposed to be an emotional thing that not an emo thing but an emotional thing where it was kind of there is always kind of light in the darkness kind of thing um i think that's yeah how how it kind of was perceived for us even though a lot of people used to call us the burning sheds um i might have thought we were against gardeners or something but um yeah so we uh we started doing that um and uh kevin o'gorman and uh ushing o'dwyer um who i was kind of hanging out with back in sligo and we were doing bits and pieces together um we all i think kev was in music college at the time so he was in dublin and uh ushing and myself moved up to dublin and started kind of getting together with, with neil and kev and we pretty much started recording and rehearsing it was uh it was a crazy time um yeah we got a, we we really did push ourselves into kind of writing as much as we could and trying to find a particular sound i think luckily enough we we kind of were able to do that without kind of anybody telling us what to do um it was kind of it was really fun because we could just experiment with any kind of music and you know we uh we still had i think the the nirvana my bloody valentine kind of angst about us but we still wanted to kind of make um music that people would like <laughs> um from all ages i don't think people wanted us to be screaming and shouting the whole time but um yeah we kind of found some kind of leeway like i do know um mcgarry used to always love the odd uh, acoustic track and he was great at writing songs uh, he like he really took care um neat little package as i used to call some of his songs that he used to kind of you know work out the the choruses and the verses and all that obviously because um that's what you do but he used to kind of really work on the vocals like on the lyrics and stuff and um sometimes it was a pain to kind of just get him to to write up write up a chorus but um when he did it was always it was always his take on any everything that you you would you wouldn't expect it but it was always good um it was always fun and uh he used to always leave a bit in there for me so i could either scream or do some something so he was very accommodating in terms of that with with songs
So that track was called Morning. Uh, we actually recorded that up in Sun Records recording studio in Temple Bar with um, Killian Gordon. I think Leslie Jones and Cormac McConville were with myself and Neil that day. So, um, yeah, it's one of those odd tracks that we ended up randomly recording. And uh, I still think it sounds great. Um, so yeah, the great memories with, with the lads doing that. Um, we did, we recorded out in Dunleary. I think it was with Noel Eli. Um, he was in college out there and we recorded with him and we recorded our first kind of major demo out there and we did, um, a couple of tracks. Um, I've only found, I think one of the actual demos from that i mean when you think about cds back in the day you were throwing a cd after you recorded something i i still need to be searching through it but um i only found one of those tracks 
um, called Sequestered. Um, eight minutes, no, 12 minutes, sorry. The, the extended, extended version, 12 minutes. Um, but yeah, it was really good because it did, it did kind of force us to kind of um, really sit down and kind of think, you know, what songs do we want to do? So in the next part of the podcast, uh, I talked to Kevin O'Gorman who drummed with us on the track you're hearing right now, Sequestered. Um, so yeah, he's, he's just going to tell you a couple of things about Neil, and uh, yeah, enjoy. Yeah, okay, so you might have to jog my memory on this, but as you know, I don't have a great memory, but I do recall, as far as I know, I, I had kind of seen McGarry around over the years, um, you know, especially when I was in school and I suppose because I was a bit younger than the two of you guys that, you know, um, you know, all the bands that were kind of going, going, going at that time, um, like when we were like 14 or 15, maybe even a bit younger, um, you know, I would have seen him kind of knocking about in, in those kind of older circles, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I think officially the first time I actually met McGarry, um, Personally, anyway, I think was out in the Thatch Bar out in, um, in Ballasa there. And I think it was something to do, and you might have to help me here, but I think it was something to do with, it was somebody that I knew that was friends with you, and I don't know who it was, but you, I think you were like playing a gig or you're playing a birthday party or there was something going on and you needed a drummer that night or something. Or maybe you, you, you weren't playing a birthday party and I've got that completely wrong. <laughs> and that you were just kind of having a bit of a, a shindig with, with a load of gear and having the crack. Um, but yeah, I do remember kind of getting a lift out and um, whether I brought drums or not, I think I'm not too sure. But that was probably my first uh, meeting, most of you really actually at that time. But I think that was my first real kind of meeting. And we, we I was literally just kind of, I think McGarry said, how's it going? I said, how are you? It's like, I, I heard you play drums. And I went, I do, yeah. That's why I have them. <laughs> and he said, all right, let's go. And I was like, what? What do you mean, let's go? Uh, I think we had a pint or whatever, and it was literally straight into just jamming. I think there was a few songs maybe that were sent back and forth through text messages or whatever it might have been yeah. uh, that you did. And I, I just loved the fact that you were doing loads of original stuff. Um, and I kind of went, okay, well, I, I don't really know what to do here, but I'll just give them my best shot. Um, so that was it. It was literally thrown in at the deep end. Um, yeah. and start start playing and it was just I remember it being a really cool it was a great night I don't know when it was though I think it might have been either during school time for me or either it was during the summer I, I don't really know exactly when it was I but think, it was I think uh, just you're, you're actually after reminding me of that it was <laughs> in the back of yeah. the thatch um, in Ballastadair and it was the Odd Socks were playing ah okay and we were playing as well. Okay. I think, yeah, I think that's how it even came about that you were living in Dublin. Were you living in Dublin at that? No, you probably weren't living in Dublin. That's it. Maybe. I don't think I was living at that. No, I'll tell you what it was. I was moving up to Dublin. You that guys were in Dublin, weren't you? Yeah. 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 And after the gig or after the, the session that we did, um, there you go. That must have been who was in contact with you then. It must have been the, the boys from the Odd Sox that were, that were chatting to you about, about me, maybe. Mm. Um for me to come out but um, as far as I think Horan might have been there as well and maybe because I would have known Stephen quite well back then because he yeah. would have been in different bands around that he was a little bit younger than me so again I was kind of in the middle between him and you guys uh, yeah. but there was all those little circles all the 
the wee um, the wee grungers hanging around Bar Bazaar at the time, and you know down in Rockwood Parade and St Anne's, of course, you know, and, and all that kind of thing. It was a huge scene, but I do remember uh, at the very end of it, like just having a few pints with you, and just it was great. It was a great night. We really connected and clicked that night. And the plan was, I kind of said, look, what are you doing? And you said, well, we, we actually live in Dublin and we're kind of looking for a drummer. And I said, well, do you know what? I'm actually, I'd already got my place in college. I'd found out in around March or, or Easter time. So I said, I'm going to Dublin. And it was like, right, it's a date. <laughs> so that was it. And as soon as I moved up, I mean, I, I brought the kid up with me. I think I might have left it in your gaff. You know, it was kind of there from the minute I went up. And it just kind of worked. It was like a little jigsaw that just fitted for me I thought this is great I, I actually have a band now and I'm doing a music course in college you know how it couldn't get any better than that really um, and I think you were all delighted secretly because you were kind of going well that's great you're going to Dublin as well so yeah um, but yeah I do I just remember kind of he was really like from my years of playing with McGarry and even that night it was just I could sense that there was a huge relationship between the two you and him anyway when you were mm. playing and it was just there was no, I could sense like he was just almost like carrying me, carrying me in the, in the gig and kind of just looking at me as giving that kind of look as don't worry about it. Just keep going. You know, it was, it was just nice. Cause I mean, I was, I was a bit younger. So, you know, you kind of live up to those expectations when you're playing with people for the first time. And uh, yeah, that's what I kind of, that's my first real recollection of meeting him. Yeah. That's pretty, yeah. That's, that's not a bad memory to have actually. Yeah. yeah. Great memory. Because, uh, yeah, I think he was happy that night. <laughs> so. Very happy. Yeah, he was. You know, I I think pretty much we we found the drummers straight away when we did jam with you that night. I think we only mm. did like three or four tracks, but of course then we did a twenty five minute instrumental, <laughs> and yeah. uh, I think that was it. Like it ticked all the boxes for us that it was like you know bring it up and then bring it down and then bring it up mm. and then bring it down and then distortion and bring it up and bring it down. And yeah, I think that that's. We were we were well happy with that. Like and I know McGarry loved the out cleanness of it and then the full on distortion, which yeah. definitely delivered with that, like the the intensity. Like playing yeah. gigs. I was even thinking about like the gigs that we did in, in the maze downstairs in the maze, in the maze right. and yeah. uh, the sticky floors. <laughs> yeah, sticky floors and uh, lost memories. And the Voodoo Lounge was another one. Was it the Voodoo Lounge? The voodoo, yeah. Where we all wore uh, the shades. The oh, yeah. And it was, yeah. the lights were, were so warm that like I couldn't see because <laughs> it was steaming up. When I look back at it in, in a kind of philosophical way, um, to me, it was, I, I never had a brother, you know. Um, I have a sister, but it was, to me, I, I felt that brotherly kind of, you know, uh, I suppose you could call it brotherly love if you want, but almost like a guidance and a kind of, we look after you kind of thing. And that was, I felt that from the moment I met all of you, but especially with McGarry and even through playing as well. McGarry was very much his own person, as you know. Um, he had his own had his own life. He had his job. He was doing things like that. Um, but when he came in to play with music, I just felt that um, 
every single time we played together, be it just jamming in your house in Parnell Street or going out playing gigs, he was just such a positive guy. And it was, you know, there was, I don't think there's ever been, I don't think we ever had a falling out. I don't think there was ever anything said that, you know, around those kind of, that age of 20, 25, whatever age, you know, young 20s, mid 20s, you know, you're still kind of, you're still really a kid, aren't you? You know, you're trying to find your way. And uh, he just seemed very mature to me. He was like the big brother that I never had. And I, and, you know, I know that sounds really cliche and romanticized or whatever, but um, for me, I think I used to have really good talks with him about music solely. You could talk with him uh, for hours about different artists and bands and things like that. And then he'd send on suggestions to me of, of things that I should listen to in terms of drums and, you know, just to try to influence me. Um, but yeah, there, there, I mean, there's, there's quite a few stories that um, I can't remember, <laughs> but I know that they're there, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like there's even going out to record um, as part of the, um, the, uh, the project that the sound engineering guys were doing out in Dunleary. I mean, mm. even that was a bit of, that was a bit of crack carrying my whole kit on a dart, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and he's just kind of going, it'll be all right. Be all right. Don't worry. No, leave it down there. There's no seat. Sorry, love. <laughs> I have a symbol for a seat, you know, we had, a, had some great times even living where I lived in Island Bridge as well. And again, just chatting for hours. I mean, there could yeah. be a party going on, but we'd be chatting for hours about music. I do remember playing on my tiny little brown TV, which was from like, I don't know, probably the first TV ever made. And <laughs> I was kind of going, where's McGarry gone? There's a big party inside. And, Maybe. But I can't, yeah. Word for word, I can't remember at all. Yeah. No, No, because I, I do, I do, just very quickly, I do remember that when we were writing the biographies for the recordings afterwards to hand out the CDs, we all, I think you might have written my one and I wrote... Uh, Possibly, yeah. Uh, uh, Oshin's one, I think. I can't remember, honestly, it was that. But I do remember that wild-eyed boy from Freecloud. <laughs> like, there was... But when you yeah. were reading it out, kind of like we switched over who wrote who wrote whose ones, and you read out your one, and it was just like, oh, my God, that's really good. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah. it's so lovely. And we were all like... Oh yeah, stupid head on on Caddy or yeah, yeah. It kind of yeah, it kind of showed that yeah, he was totally. I I thought he was gonna be joking and pure messing, but sure, that's he. Yeah, he always came out with gems like that when you didn't expect it. So that yeah, it was you know to me we treated it almost like a a songwriting workshop where we all kind of took a a chair or a table somewhere to write biographies, (laughs) and once once it was read out, then I remember. He was probably playing FIFA or he's probably playing some oh, game and he kind of just, I think we all said, Jesus, that's pretty funny, McGarry. That's, that's a great biography. And he kind of just popped the glasses down as he usually did and went, no problem. You know, it was just kind of like it was nothing to him, you know. But like you could tell that he, he did spend a bit of time thinking about what he was writing, you know, which yeah. was fun. So, yeah, that was, that was, that was great to have, actually. Yeah, it was good fun. You know, the funny thing is when I, when I look back on it now, you know, I was quite young. You know, I was 20. Uh, 19 going on 20 uh, really and pup. Uh, a wee pup yeah with the crazy hair <laughs> that kind of just grew out as opposed to down but uh, I think as I keep as I keep kind of reiterating like he was a very uh, personal kind of person and I think that um, McGarry was very much you know I, I don't know how anybody couldn't like McGarry. I don't know. I don't know anyone that wouldn't. Uh, nobody ever said a bad word against him uh, or about him. And I think it was, it's almost impossible to not get on with somebody 
of his caliber. They're kind of rare, those people that you find in life along the path, along the way. He, as I said, he was very headstrong and he, everything he did, he did it for, he always had a kind of an objective in his mind of what he wanted to do. And he did it, you know, and and he did it to the best of his ability. Um, Sometimes it didn't work out. Sometimes it did. He was very set in his ways. Maybe a lot of people mightn't have realized, and maybe you could concur in this, but I think he was quite a shy person. He was, he was quite shy um, in a lot of ways. Um, But once you got to know him, he was far from shy. (laughs) But I think you, you had to kind of, you had to build that trust. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think yeah. if you need to get to know, you need to get to know somebody. McGarry was a very loyal person and he was, he, he was very, he was a very trusting person, but you kind of had to gain his trust. I managed to do that when I, when I, when I first heard that he got sick. I mean, it was like, it's just typical, isn't it? You know, these things happen to the nicest people and you don't know why. I think maybe that's what a lot of people might really know about him. He was quite a soft, timid, shy person. And they're not, they're not negative flaws. They're just nice qualities to have. And I think, yeah, I think that's probably what I would say about him. Everybody knew he had a great sense of humor. Everybody knew how great a musician he was. Um, he was always the center of attention in a party. He was... Yeah, he was just a really, really nice person. And I think, as I said, yeah, I'm just repeating myself now, sorry. But I think, oh. yeah, he was, he, was, he was very shy. And I think he, sometimes as well, and, you know, if he was here now, he'd probably get a belt or something. But, he, yeah, he would, I think he undervalued himself uh, as a musician sometimes. I think he, he didn't think he was as good as he actually was. Um, so in order for, for him to gain that confidence, he constantly wanted to keep practicing and, and playing gigs mm-hmm. and writing. Songwriting was a big thing for him. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's normal. It's, it's a normal thing to have. We're, look, we're not geniuses, you know. We can only do what we can do. But I think that kind of explains the shyness maybe a little bit about him, yeah. that sometimes some people that are shy mightn't have as much confidence as somebody else. But then what's the other side of that? The other side of people that are overly confident which, you know, another word for that is called arrogance. You know, yeah. there, sometimes that arrogance doesn't really um, deliver the, the expectation of what they want it to be. So, I mean, they could be very egotistical and arrogant, but their songs and their songwriting and their, their person, persona is very, you know, stuck mm-hmm. in the middle and mediocre because they're, they're wanting people to like them so much. So I think that would, that's probably what I would say. From my experience, I don't know that. Other people mm. might go, are you crazy? He wasn't. He wasn't a shy guy. No, I, I think he was. I, I, like, yeah. I, I, I would have noticed it specifically in, especially, well, obviously, because like, I've known him for years. Um, it's songwriting especially. That's where I kind of found there was a bit more of a, a sensitive side to him. But I mean, Absolutely. even if I mentioned yeah. it, he'd... Uh, He'd end up doing no. I have another track there that's called like "I Hate Everybody." <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just one chord staring at you, <laughs> kind of yeah. looking at you. Yeah, you're right. Lyrics. And you're you like hit the nail on there. the head there, actually. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but again, you know, to be able to get into that mind frame of of getting to know him, you, you or mm. know his understand his songs, you would have to, as I said, gain his trust and get to know him, and then understand his songs, and then be able to say. I know, I know, I know you're sensitive, you know, yeah. but as you said, yeah, he'd probably just brush it off and go, no, nah, it's just one for the album. People want to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, he always had an answer for everything though. That was the, that was, that was his that thing. That is true. Actually, he did have an answer for everything. For me and especially for you and, and, and you know, uh, Neil's family and all his close and other friends in the circles, you know, mm. we still feel this tragic loss every day that he's not here. That cheeky, funny smile 
the, the, st- the swagger of him walking down the road with the coat. <laughs> the and, jacket, uh, and just, I used to love like whenever he, you know, you might need to refresh my memory here again, but he did work in, did he work in uh, Domino's in Sligo at one stage? Yes, he did. I have a little story about that, if I can throw that in for yeah, a second. Go, go, yeah, go, go, Oh, it's so funny. He, that, that, the reason I mentioned Domino's is because I was living around the corner in Emma Place there in, um, in Sligo. And I can't remember what year. It might have been 2006, seven or something like that. But that, the reason I, I was asking is because I do remember him working there. And I think he was either the supervisor or the manager or something like that. And um, he was very generous. Like Sometimes you'd, you'd ring up and you'd get a pizza and he'd give you you know, garlic bread or he'd give you something on the slide for free, which was great. Um, but <laughs> there was one, there was one evening and I think it was like a, like a Tuesday or a Wednesday, something stupid like that. And we were all pretty hung over in the house. So we decided we'd ring for, um, <laughs> for a takeaway. <laughs> so I rang for a takeaway anyway. And I, I, uh, I, I don't think it was McGarry on the phone, but it was somebody else. And I, I ordered it anyway. And uh, I told the, I said the address was six Emma place. Now for those of people who might be listening to this, uh, Domino's Pizza is down beside Gary Cycles in Key Street and Emma Place is just around the corner it takes probably it probably takes less to walk than it does to ring <laughs> so um, I was kind of waiting about 15-20 minutes there was nothing there you know there was no you know I was what's going on here um, so I rang back after about a half an hour and I said hello and it was himself on the phone I said hi um, it's just this is a this is um yeah, yeah, Kev, I know it's you. Um, get your ass around here, you lazy pup. <laughs> so that was it. There was no, he was like, I'm not sending a driver out to deliver a pizza to you. <laughs> How lazy can you be? So I, I, I just, the two of us were roaring laughing when I came down for the pizza and I saw him. And in fairness, I think he gave me something for free as well on top of it. But he, he just, he said, That's, that has topped my evening. You know, he said, that, that has just made it. But yeah, like, I mean, that was a funny story as well. And uh, like, you know, we all kind of went our separate ways in our mid-20s, maybe later 20s and stuff like that. But uh, we always kept in touch. Um, I, I used to send him recordings that I was doing when I, when I came back, mm. um, you know, and because I knew he was doing a lot of recording himself in the, in, the, in the home house. And he would offer some tips and advice and stuff like that. So uh, he'd never tell you we're that good, though, you know, which was what I liked about him, honestly. Yeah. You know, kept you on Catch you on your toes. What could be improved and stuff like that. So um, if he was here, I would just go, shoots. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what I'd say. I, I, for me, McGarry, shoots, Christmas time, pints. I just, that, that whole kind of sense of, uh, and there was another thing that we used to do, if I remember, in Dublin, and we used to do it down in Sligo, so just randomly bring a guitar into a pub and have, yeah. just have a bit of crack. And just start playing. That was really good fun, you know. Yeah. Um, like the old days, like you know, that's how things are. But yeah, yeah I think what I would say to him if he was here, uh, I would say what he always said to me. I would say, um, "How are you? And how are things? And I hope you're keeping well. And let's go for a pint." I think that's what I would say. As 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 mundane as that sounds, uh, it's the little things like that that you miss. Um, the odd text out of the blue saying, are you around tonight? Mm. Um, you know, he always, always asked how I was. You know, that was the first thing he would ask. It was never, anytime he rang or text, it was never, 
oh, we have to do this, we have to do that, or uh, we're thinking of doing this, we're thinking of doing that. It was always like, how are you, man? You know, and I think I would, I would, I would um, respond the same way he used to ask me and generally mm. just ask him how he is because that's the kind of guy he was, you know? So, um, but, but I mean, look, it's a hard question to answer because there's so many things I could say to him. I'd say, let's do it. Let's go. Let's record. Let's play. Let's, let's do whatever, you know? Um, so that's probably what I would say. So Kev actually did find that bio and he decided to record it for me. So uh, have a listen. It's very cool. Kevin O'Gorman by Neil McGarry. The wild-eyed boy from Freetloud. A strange encounter in the thatch. An understanding of percussion like no one I have ever met. A constant image of sparks engulfing a drum kit as we endeavour and dance wildly in the light. A gifted guitarist and vocalist, his material carries an Irish soul. Irish myth and legend shroud a proud Celtic mantle. Strong political and social stances create a pillar of granite, sometimes controversial, sometimes not. But atop he stands surrounded by his heritage. Socially loud, abrupt and in your face, and makes no apologies, the way it should be. Full of youthful exuberance and mental maturity, he fitted straight in with the lads. The hair. The hair. All that hair. His music does not begin and end with rock, having interests in all music with strong cultural roots. I already consider Kevin as a close friend, and I think we all do. The bond that has grown in the relatively short space of time is stronger than I could have imagined. He lives at Cahenys, I think. <laughs> I think we will all immerse ourselves in his cultivated energy, be it spiritual or social. A true Kukulam. We ended up meeting um, a girl from the States called Meg. This is a long story short, but um, we met her. I was think I was doing an open mic in Dublin. I was playing at the time, and she was sitting at the bar, and she was chatting to uh, Connor Fitzpatrick, or Fitzy, um, as everybody called him. Um, we... Uh, he got chatting to her, and uh, we kind of. She was in only in in uh, Dublin for for one or two nights. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, she ended up coming back to the house, and we ended up hanging out and chatting about um, kind of the states and kind of stuff that she wanted to do. And she kind of heard some of the stuff that we played. And luckily enough, where we were living, we did actually have my bedroom was pretty much a rehearsal space with drums, PA system amps everything in it and uh, we lived above a pet shop on Parnell Street it's just up across from Figures you probably might have seen it once or twice but um, yeah so every day after about six when the place closed we could kind of rehearse until um, daylight I guess we could record, we could pretty much record and play as much as we wanted to um, we were very lucky in terms of that um, but yeah with Meg like she came back to the house and we, we ended up kind of pretty much doing a full gig and kind of having the crack and she uh, said that we should have definitely just 
go to the States and kind of see how we get on over there. A lot of stuff like that. But anyway, yeah, so Meg said about coming to the States, giving it a go. She knew someone that we could um, stay with. So that's pretty much how we kind of talked about going over to the States. So in this next conversation, I chat to Stephen Horn, who joined the Burning Shades before we went to the States. First impressions of McGarry were that, I suppose, you know, I would have been in, in my mid to late teens when I met him. So um, I would have been quite, I think I, I would have, uh, I would have looked up to him, I suppose, really, you know. Um, he was a person who struck me, uh, he was hilarious, number one, really funny guy, fantastic sense of humour really quick-witted really, but also like as well as being very quick-witted also like kind of quite a, a, a certain sense of humor as well you know um very intelligent um, um very talented as well really good musician uh really good songwriter i suppose he, he would have come across as very confident as well you know with, with his humor you know and everything else but as well, that was my, my first impression of him but then as, as i kind of got to know him as well then he, quickly realized that there was a totally other side to him as well. Like he's a very, very kind person, you know, um, a very caring person, extremely patient as well. You know, um, when, when I think of Gary and myself, I just think of the amount of patience he must have had. <laughs> uh, seriously. I think when we were, even when we were in, in the shades together, like, you know, Gary was the, the kind of the organized one, you know, Mm-hmm. <laughs> transport he made sure we had the gear you know and then i think back like i despair now thinking back like i regularly like wouldn't have had picks like one of our plectrums like wouldn't have had guitar leads uh, <laughs> for a good period of time i had i like i was using the bass i borrowed you know um and then he used to drive a gary insane but he never let on you know and he was really patient with me so he always made sure that he had, for me, he had guitar leads, you know, extra ones, because I turned up without any of those things, you know. <laughs> um, that the bass was had fresh strings on it, was in tune, you know, and that I could play <laughs> when I was there. Um, so, yeah, in addition to all those things, like, as I, as I get older myself, I suppose, I go, Jesus Christ, he had incredible patience, like, you know, and thank goodness he was so <laughs> organized and on it, because if it hadn't been for him, God knows what, we would have done from gig to gig or certainly what I would have done from gig to gig, you know, but that was like, yeah. whilst he was really patient. I think that was also like, uh, it was like had a very caring side of him as well. Like, you know, he was like, look, this, this young fella can't sort it out himself. I'll, I'll do it and make sure that he's organized from gig to gig, you know? Um, <laughs> so yeah, that they're, they're kind of the, as well as the first impressions I would have got from him. And then as mm. I got to know him better, you know, I would have seen that other side of him as well going to mention about the tracks that we did start recording i remember i was doing anera romana before we left and it pretty much was the whole song was about that yeah um and i think i think mcgarry might have helped me out with the lyrics because i was a bit too i don't know i think he made it a bit more uh, optimistic <laughs> <laughs> Because I didn't want to be too happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. There, was, there definitely would have been a contrast in your writing styles that way, though, I'd say, like, you know? Yeah, I, I think, you see, it was that weird thing where I think we, me me and himself used to do a lot of 
acoustic stuff yeah. anyway. Like up in his house, up in his parents' house, and uh, even anywhere that we were doing. But I think once we got to Dublin, I think we kind of did uh, go a bit more heavier and electric. And I think that's that's where I was kind of finding my scream as such. I kind of wanted to do a lot more of mm-hmm. that stuff. And uh, I think uh, Gary is more than happy to do it, but I think he always kind of pulled back and liked to do the odd, uh, like, acoustic track. And even, obviously, like, later on, even after... Well, we did it in Boston as well, but even coming back to Sligo, we did kind of do the acoustic gigs, which I found to be as much fun, even even better, probably, in some of the, some of the circumstances, to be doing those acoustic gigs, because it really did kind of show the kind of jam kind of mentality that we yeah. had i think it really did kind of bring that out it's a lot of fun doing absolutely that. like i think we're going to boston i think it was, it was it was very much like i was talking earlier about how neil was kind of the one who was probably most the most organized and the best planner of the four of us you know um the whole thing around boston i think neil really drove a lot of that you know it like maybe i suppose if, if we were we were all kind of dreamers and McGarry was more like, okay, let's, let's make it happen. You know? Um, so I would have, I would have remembered McGarry like, uh, booking the flights, you know, and we would have all put the money in his account to do it. You know, it was like, mm. <laughs> thanks. Um, so he was taking care of all yeah. that. And then, um, yeah, I remember we, we, we flew out from, we had to fly from Strangill airport. We flew from Strangill. Yeah. To Dublin, almost famous kind of buzz. Yeah, Raslan nearly crashed, you know. <laughs> yeah, classic. We flew from <laughs> from Strandhill to uh, Dublin. Then we go from Dublin to Shannon. We go through Custom and Shannon mm. to, to Boston. Yeah, as you were saying, them for we stayed in a part of Boston called um, Somerville, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Secret. Then, then yeah. We, we stayed in a uh, when we got to Boston for the first month. We stayed in a, an area called Somerville, and a guy called Brendan, who, if I, if memory serves me right, was from Monaghan. I think so. A basement that was uh, converted into uh, sleeping quarters um, and a bar. <laughs> And a bar. That bar. It was more a bar than a sleeping a area. Sweaty, yeah. sweaty bar in, in, in the heat of uh, Somerville in the summertime. Brendan used to uh, let some of the GEA uh, teams stay with him while they were over in the States kind of doing different exhibition games and stuff. I think That's right, yeah. There was like jerseys, or, yeah. um, different guy jerseys up in the wall around uh, the bar area and I think he let a lot of Irish people um, stay there when they were coming over to Boston, uh, kind of mm. find their way, or you know, were over for as he said, like the, the GAA teams that were over for any reason, really, like you know, just anyone yeah. who's Irish that someone had a connection to him and needed uh, needed a place to crash, like so he's really generous. What was the name of the rehearsal space we used to go to? Jam Spot. That's what I was just going to ask. Yeah, that that place was was a lifesaver, I think, because obviously we couldn't really do full-on rehearsals in in uh brendan's place we got some songs down like i know like I, I like i think foundations came out of that there was loads of tracks that came out of that time there was uh foundations images of me on fire uh yeah uh lie of the shadows Sonyando there oh yeah Sonyando. yeah um yeah i think we did do a lot we did nail the tracks down pretty much before 
Bobby the Brute. Bobby the Brute. One of Meg's yeah. friends. Engineer, wasn't he? He was uh, an engineer in the studio. Yeah. Uh, was it New Alliance? Yeah, it was. Yeah, New Alliance. Things, yeah. Yeah. That's how we kind of decided to do those, the four tracks. I think that's how it came about. I remember Sailors was, was a was a going track for a while with McGarry. I do, I do remember there was about maybe six or seven different versions of it. But I think the one that we had when we did actually do the recording, that was the one I think he was delighted with. I think it was the one that he kind of found, like especially with the, I think we, even with the intros and stuff like that, the stuff that we used to do on mm. the track, I think he was happy enough to do it. But yeah, we didn't really get enough time to kind of do a lot of backing vocals. And I don't know, for, for anybody that does listen to the tracks, we pretty much did those all the the instruments in one take yeah. so they're all being recorded at the same time and then i think yeah we did the vocals after. it was very uh rough and ready like you know and we we would we would have had little time i think we we had a day basically didn't we we would have started at mm-hmm. around uh eight or nine in the morning um yeah. taking a break and then finish up around five in the evening maybe something like that like you know basically a work but it was it was yeah, yeah it was and it, we it did. was it was a brilliant experience actually that I've never been yeah. in the studio before actually to be honest so only myself or or, or Kyo hadn't been in, hadn't been in the studio anyway mm. such a buzz yeah I think about McGarry stuff as a band I suppose Sailor's Map really that's probably the one that mm. sticks out the most you know I think I think part of that as well was because as, as a bass player you know the bass is a big part of the intro to that and McGarry um I think had already was it McGarry or yourself had already wrote that uh, that hook you know where you were playing it on the guitar I yeah I did I did that little thing only because it was was that it was on it was, it's at the end of the song and I just McGarry told me to pull it to the front, like as in bring it mm. to the start of it, because it's one of those, you know, intro and outro kind of buzzes. But I, I didn't think I kind of thought it might sound better at the end. But yeah, he said, bring it straight in at the start. And obviously then I think, I think it's for a, yourself. Well, then we decided to go with the kind of bass and drums in, yeah. intro, you know, and uh, I love playing that bass line. There's a gorgeous little mm. bass line, you know, a lovely little melody. And it's a brilliant track. Like, you know, it's what it's about it's only about what two and a half minutes long just under three minutes long yeah roughly yeah um it was great fun to play live as well looking at the lyrics mm. and stuff um because obviously i sang like we all sang on on the intro part especially yeah. for the acoustic version that we used to do um but yeah it's that whole thing of the kind of drew um took a pen drew a map plotted out my route and back here and there side to side in the end i have found where i want to be I have found yeah yeah, that, yeah. yeah. it's no, it's a gorgeous little track like I I, I love that um mm. image of the of the map you know even just the the kind of the here and there side to side like you know um there's something lovely about that you know like it's a very simple mm. phrase but there's a lot in it like you know and he, he was he was a really good writer in that sense you know lyrically yeah you hear that as well on on, on last star you know that kind of whole idea kind of a journey really i suppose really you know like both, both those tracks are have a lot of um a lot of kind of imagery of of traveling or even just you know very not even imagery just very explicitly about being on some kind of journey in life you know 
Yeah, even, even like I do recall with Last Star, he did have it for a while, and I don't think he he recorded it as, as like the demo version. He pretty much did it all himself and kind of just said, "Yeah, there's there's a track," you know, totally out of the blue. I remember like him sending it on to me. I, I can remember vividly the first time I heard that track. Uh, on a Sunday night, we were upstairs in the smoking area in McHugh's. But yeah, he yeah. brought up the the iPad. Uh, not the iPad, the iPod, I should say. Yeah, just really like, um, really kind of passively would have said, oh yeah, come here, this this track, you should hear it, you know? And uh, and it just blew me away. Like, it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And I, I suppose in a way, I, I felt nearly, he'd reached another level with that track. It was nearly another level from the, the other tracks he wrote in the past, which in, in them, those tracks in themselves were great. But Last Star just... Um, yeah, I fairly reached something higher with that one, you know. But uh, mm. I, I suppose at the same time, though, like it's a very different type of track. Maybe a lot of the other stuff he would have brought to the I mean, the band setting were more were were wrote with a with a band in mind, you know. Or whereas Astar, yeah, was very much like a, a Neil McGarry track. Um, Winter Reflex. That's a gorgeous track, and you know, I only heard it for the first time in a long time the other day when you emailed it on to me. Uh, mm gotten how, how powerful that track is you know yeah you know, it's vocals and and the use of the 12 string as you said like you know the little hooks in it during the verse and then the the slide mm. the slide that he uses during the the chorus or is it just yeah he kind of from what i can remember um do, 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 do. yeah i do remember him recording that he, yeah, it was. I think he was. He probably recorded it one of the days. He was trying to do the slide, and I think he needed me to hold the mic because something mic stand or something broke, and he was trying to, all right, to hold the mic for him. Mm. That's what it was. I had to hold the mic for him because he didn't have a mic stand with him. He had a brilliant ear for. He had a brilliant ear for hooks like that. You know. Um, yeah. I when I listen back to the tracks now, and some of his lead guitar playing, you know. Like when when you when you listen back to his um when I listen when I listen back to the tracks, and I I don't think I appreciated it as much at the time just just how much um how fantastic and how beautiful some of the melody was in his guitar playing or his lead guitar playing as well you know like hmm. able to rock out and make noise but like there was gorgeous melody in it as well. He was here today. I would have said like it's hard to say it'd be one thing. I'd say so many things to him like you know. No, I suppose, I, I, I suppose that the most the most honest thing I'd like to say to him is that I loved him, like, you know, I love him, like, and how how much I looked up to him and respected him, you know, and I I, I thank him as well, you know, because it's only I you know I'd, I'd look back at it now and I and I and I and I realize like how much he did for me, realize at the time like it took a lot of it for granted. I thought it was funny, like you know, because I was definitely the most disorganized probably at times of the group. And he was the one who covered for me, like, you know, he made sure that, that, you know, I was saying earlier, like, you know, he always made sure that he'd bring plectrums if horn didn't bring plectrums, or he'd bring guitar leads in case horn didn't bring guitar leads, you know, he always looked out for me in that sense. So I definitely thank him for that as well, you know, because I only, re- I only realized in the last few years, looking back, how much he would have done for me in that sense, you know, and then how much he would have encouraged me and brought me on as a musician as well. He would have kind of taken on that kind of role maybe sometimes as the more responsible one and looked out for me you know I mean at times when like you know if I was like partying a lot you know or drinking a lot and putting other things ahead of the band or you know not looking after myself like Neil would say it to me like you know he's like, you look after yourself like you know 
And I, I suppose, unfortunately, it wasn't until after Neil passed away that I, I realized the value of that, you know, and how good a friend he was to me. So, yeah, I suppose I like to tell him, I tell him that I, I love him and, and thank him for everything he did for me when, I, when we were in the band and when we were younger and let him know how much I appreciate him as a person and respect him, you know. You know, and he just, he'd miss his humor so much as well. Like, like when, I, when I remember him, the main thing I remember is just laughing. Like, he was absolutely hilarious, like, you know. I remember him laughing. I remember him telling jokes and I remember him um, slagging you, you know. Even if it was, you know, even if it was just like sitting around the house up in Pierce Road playing Mario Kart, like, you know. And the crack he used to have there. Just yeah, the I, I often I look back, I look back on, on that time and the gigs you're playing then is um probably the, the period of time I am most fond of, you know. I think we were we were practicing regularly, getting really tight and having great crack as well. Like I loved those practices up on the house in Pierce Road, you know. I got right when I think of Gary, like was we all sat in the same places, didn't we? Like I think Kyo was on the right when he came in the door. I, I was always kind of Oh, yeah, so Kyo would have been actually straight in front of you when he came in the door. Then I would have been to the left. McGarry was then to Kyo's right, and then you would McGarry's right. So McGarry would have been opposite me when we were playing, you know. When we were all sitting down because you we were playing acoustic, like, you know, he'd get really into it. And the more he got into it, like, you kind of leaning over, like, you know, so he'd kind of be hunched back over the guitar. Glasses would kind of slip down his nose. The guys just be looking over, and he kind of rocking back and forth, looking towards you. You look crazed, you know. Um, crazed, or you know, it's seductive. <laughs> but like you fed off that though as well. Like you knew when when he was the further Bagari was leaning forward, and the further the glasses were going down his nose, you know, like you knew something was happening then. Like you know, like this is going well. This jam is going. Well, this is getting intense now. You know. Next up is Kevin Kyo, who joined the band just before we went to Boston. He basically talks about his um, thoughts and reflections on Noel McGarry over the years. My memories aren't of like individual incidents or you know incidents, accidents or mayhem. You know there are some really funny moments, but for me it was kind of all the buzz we had as a group, you know, doing really stupid stuff. Do you know what, recently I thought, I just think of a lot of situations recently where McGarry would laugh at me, like, that's kind of, I've had it a lot lately. Like, <laughs> I really I, mean? I, like we used to have those conversations in the trades club about stuff, and then he was a mad believer in energy, going stuff, places and stuff, and I'm, I'm, you know, that's the curious question about life, and I guess because he believed in that, I kind of, I'd love to, you know, to meet him and, where have you been? Have you written anything? in your travels, you know, what are you up to? Like, haven't never met anyone like him before and haven't met anyone close to me like him since. He inspired fear and the most joy you could have. <laughs> and he could do both in the space of 10 <laughs> minutes, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, that was kind of the, the light about him. You know, that's what I, I was, I was talking to someone about yeah. it the other day. And when you were talking about this, if he was in that mood, he could, you could talk to anyone. And he was like, um, he was enigmatic, but also a bit of a draw. People just kind of came to him, you know, and everyone had respect for him. But the yeah. more you got to know him, the, the more felt the humor was, you know what I mean? In the best way. Um, that's yes. what I was thinking about the last <laughs> couple of days. Yeah. I actually, I do have one that I think. Go on, uh, yeah. So essentially, because I, I, I had met McGarry before this and you had introduced me, but I met McGarry, I think in the 
triathlon. But I remember going in there one night and I think I arrived in a bit late and Mannion was in there as well and McGarry was playing. And I hadn't heard McGarry play before, but I had spoken to him. And it was that thing, as I said, like before, people were always kind of drawn to him. But I remember him playing and he was like, you know, it was relatively early in the night. And I just thought, wow, like, you know, because him and Mannion, who was quite young at the time, were kind of going over and back. Mm. And I knew Mannion was a beast, like an absolute gifted guitarist. But I didn't realize that, well, I had never heard McGarry before, but I had heard him chat and you were saying, you know, the music you were into, like the eels and stuff. And when he played, he was freakishly technical, which kind of, I was a bit taken aback because I didn't think he was that, I didn't expect him to be, a, I thought he was going to be raw and nirvana I didn't think he was going, but he was playing all this stuff and I was kind of going, wow, holy crap, like that guy's really good. Mannion's got a bit of a task because I, <laughs> I knew Mannion was sadly, like, but you know, it was very nice kind of. And then like the later on when we started jamming, I realized that mm. he had that cool thing, you know, where it, but he loved to get locked into a groove and I love to get locked into a groove. You loved it. And so did Horn. So it was that thing of, he could play these really cool expansive stuff, but he was, he was all about just the groove. Like some of those songs, when I listen back to them, like let's be friends, pretend when I can find them, that's the problem. I wish it were now, well, you know, mm. I wish you were here now, but I wish we had all that stuff recorded and in places where I could, you know, dwell in that kind of period for a little bit of time, just for a week or two, and then, you know, step out of it. But I remember being so shocked by how, how technically, technically gifted he was, as well as kind of that raw talent. But it was, yeah, I don't mm. know, something about that. Because he kind of, you know, he had that thing. He was a bit filthy in his guitar choice, too. Like, he got the Gibson, or the Les Paul, and he had the, the 12, 12 string Stratocaster. Which was needed, like, let's yeah. call it. Who I was talking about that to Horn. I was talking about that to Horn earlier, that it was a Hawaiian blue 12-string electric guitar with the coffin case. Like, <laughs> unnecessary, but, like, totally, like, every kid's dream. And he just, you know, bought it. But in fairness, yeah. McGarry was always working so hard anyway. Like, he, you know, it was well-earned. But That's all right. I remember about the 12 stringer was the, the David Bowie chord that he found. Remember when we turned one of our gigs, he found the Bowie chord? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this weird, dark, like, phantom opera chord that he kept breaking out. It was class. <laughs> That's uh, ludicrous yeah. stuff. Like, when he even, I think in his mind, he was stepping up for the studio, though. Do you or what did you mm. think? Do you think that's like when he was perching that stuff? I never thought of it, but when I look back on it, I think he had kind of it'd be great to have a load of guitars and some drums and to build up to the studio. Like when I think about it now, maybe I think, yeah, I I think we like we used to record the whole time when we were younger anyway, but obviously just on tape decks and stuff because we didn't have technology that that kind of has it now a lot easier. Um, he was always the tech head anyway. He always loved make, messing around with Pro Tools, and I mean, sure, he did the sound the sound engineering course as well yeah. with, with Killian. Um, and I mean, he was he was always kind of doing that stuff. But um, I think, yeah, I think at that stage, then I think now, like when he started finally kind of doing the band thing on pretty much a, I wouldn't even say a, a permanent basis. But he was doing it a lot more than when he was first starting out recording. I think that's when it kind of came to him that he, he needed to kind of go into production. I think he wanted to do that more. He was more, he was way more adventurous on stage 
than he was when it was recording. It was very straight and very precise. What was a random? <laughs> I was thinking about this today and the kind of likability, because he had, you know, he was kind of clear as a cut too. Like if McGarry didn't like something, you know, he wasn't afraid to say that. Mm. And I really liked that too, you know. Dude, he had so many friends. You know, you think about it. Like some people you, like, you just didn't know about. Well, like, and I suppose I was rel- relatively a late arrival anyway to that, like 2005, 2006. I met him a couple of years before that. But when I think about, mm. I think there was one guy from Domino's who ended up doing security in the Riverside across from you. Do you remember this? And that place yep. was destroyed at the, at the time. And I called McGarry one evening and went, you know, you're around, you know, up for a cup of tea or whatever, chat, maybe record. And he went, I'm over in the Riverside. All right. So do you want to come over? Yeah. All right. So we arrived like and Riverside was in really bad condition, but in one of the conference rooms, like yeah. the dude who used to work at McDonald's, I can't remember his name, really nice guy. Like they had set up the PlayStation and <laughs> your man was working nights and they were just playing FIFA. Like, uh, oh I my think that, God. that's kind of the most, you know, <laughs> McGarry, you know, thing, you know, just really random place you'd find him, but just hanging out, yeah. having a laugh. Like, yeah, I don't know. It was mad. What? Because, you know, we were the young ones of the group. Like, we were 18, I think. Was it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Horn had just turned 18. I was 18 a couple of my, We were babies. Like, I was thinking about two things kind of came to my mind. One was the Beatles. You know, I, I was mad into the Beatles at that point. But there was albums I hadn't heard. And I remember listening to you with you guys. And like Sgt. Peppers and stuff. I'd never listened to Sgt. Peppers before I went over there, which is mad. And you kind of introduced me to it. And I... Uh, yeah, it was that's weird. You, you, the two of you had that kind of competitive buzz going with your music, you know. It's like the, the Leonard McCartney yeah. thing. That was just great to watch, you know. I was like, I'm going to try and be George Harrison over here in the corner, like just watching. <laughs> you did a good job, Kyo. Did a good job. <laughs> so is that horn is Ringo then? So <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was happy. I was happy, man. What is being on toes? That's true. <laughs> with myself and Paddy and McGee when we were younger I think we were constantly abusing each other and I think it just kind of came out in terms of that's how most people started with McGarry was that he'd usually be abu- like not not bullying her but just abusing them until they kind of just ended up abusing them back and then it was like alright you're alright now you can, you can kind of chat to me properly an initiation as such like I think that's 100% um, it though. You're dead, like that's nail on head. It is. Yeah. It's kind of, it was the pushing a little bit to see, you know, ah, is this person any crack? Like, are they worth, worth speaking? To? <laughs> and then, yeah. well, no, actually they're okay. You know, they're okay. But there's, I was thinking also about like some of the conversations like that himself and that himself and Patty, like for me, were kind of next level shit at times, you know, there was, I think there was a time mm-hmm. in, Hargadens when we went in and McGarry had watched some documentary on uh, Adeline's taking steroids <laughs> and he just okay. you know went to town on it and <laughs> it's, I mean, himself and Patty like I it was rare I'm in a conversation where I have no idea what's going on you know <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but you know if if the three of you were around that happened quite frequently you know at that t- at that point in time good stuff and it was always that kind of thing. It was just an explosion of happiness. I think that that's you know it was it always put a smile on my face any time I seen him because he always and I think everybody has said it that I've talked to. It's the cheeky smile with the glasses down, 
and it's really hard to do because I have been, but I've been trying to do it. And it that that's yeah, you can't yeah, I can't I can't recreate it because it's just the look. It's the cheeky look that you know that you're either in trouble or you're in for a lot. Usually laugh. it's the latter. <laughs> yeah, usually it was like Yeah, yeah. You're gonna be pulled a piss of, but it's it just he wouldn't even have to say anything, would he? It'd just be the look and then continued. Also something because you know you said that this was that if I was free for a chat, I was thinking about I kind of remember, obviously egotistically i'm going to go from my perspective in that point of time but i remember there was a sligo live on Sinead o'connor mm. was playing i remember he was volunteering with us and you and fitzy came up there and you gave me a cd or fitzy gave yeah. me a cd with burning shed stuff and i listened to it for the next two days and then i think we all met up in the garbage or whatever and i remember listening to this mm. stuff and i thought wow, like this is this, like these are, this is the music I want to hear. And you know, these lads are doing it. You know, you wouldn't think it to look at them, but they're making some pretty cool music, you know? (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) and you know, and that was the funny thing you said, like, you know, McGarry, because he had that personality, he never really revealed the kind of gentler side of himself. He did sometimes, you know, but, and of course, you know, and, you know, obviously he did, but, you know, he was so much fun to be around that nearly the music, it's like he kept it for that in some ways. Then Winter Reflex, I think that was mm. a Dublin night. I think I think we were staying in Jer and, and McGarry's place. I think I'd come out from Minute and you were staying there too. Usual thing, just couches and floors and the whole shebang. But I think we had a few beers and listened to the vines or something. But after we jammed, and I think I was playing drums on it, pot or pan or something and everyone else was kind of jamming away on guitars and he played winter reflex then and i was nearly crying and you know it was one of those things i love those side that those kind of songs that were a little bit softer because i don't know that's those were the first ones i heard and then when i started to play drums of course sailor's map probably was one that because it was one of those things i i can't remember the way we went into the drums and something but he looked up at me and he gave me that kind of what you doing over there? Kind of luck. You know? <laughs> I don't know, but I like it. You know, kind of thing. He gave me the recognition, which is, you know, when <laughs> someone does that who writes a song and, you know, they're like, I really liked it, you, what you did there. I really like what you did there, kid. I, it gave me this kind of boost where I was like, ah, oh, cool. And for me, the two of you were, you know, five, what, five, six years older. So it was like that older brother thing as well. You're not that old, Kanye. I don't mean it like that. Mm. But uh, <laughs> oh, no. for me, I love that. You know, the jam and some of the stuff. I think so much stuff he had so much between the two, you know, in terms of quantity. Mm. I don't know. For you, what's your favorite one, actually? We, for me, one of like it, it's more because it was it was probably the first one that I I think that he actually fully finished. But it's going back to when we were like playing years. Always seventeen was the one one of the ones. Now, but that that's just more nostalgia from myself and himself because it was really the full song that we both kind of finished together and that was there was no lyrics because we just couldn't be bothered so (laughs) we just wanted to jam and play but out of out of probably all the burning shades stuff like out of mcgarry's tracks it probably would be last star Uh, it's tied with winter reflex as well like it would be but then again you got murder in the high seas i don't i like all those but you know what like let's be friends and yeah i love the groove he had for a couple of those tracks and the stuff we were chatting about before that we couldn't find like delfino square there were a couple like four or five tracks that i 
thought were completely different. We just didn't think to record some things, I think, or you know, they're lost in the, yeah. in the cracks and stuff. The last time, this was kind of a random one, because I remember the last time we jammed. I can't remember what we rehearsed for, but I remember all of us in the studio. But when the kid arrived, mm. he called me that evening when the drum kit arrived. And I went up there to tune it, not knowing how to tune a drum kit. <laughs> it's like, like all the drummers, surely, you know, <laughs> didn't have a clue. But uh, we arrived up and we, we checked it out. And just from listening to drums online and stuff, we kind of figured out how to tune it. But after we tuned it, he had a steel snare and I had like the wooden snare. So I had my one there. And there was some song that had a mm. cool little breakdown in the middle of where they went from the wooden to the steel. So we were trying to, we were trying to replicate that. But then he played this song. We jammed for an hour. But it was just this classic McGarry riff. And never heard it, obviously never heard it again. I'd love to hear that, you know, mm. that song. That's kind of one of the ones that's lost, you know, but it's probably my, the last memory I have of kind of just one-on-one, -on -one, just having that kind of moment of, you know, when you're jamming with someone and you're properly in it, and you're like, I don't know, for yeah. some reason that was one that came up to me. I'd love to be able to see that moment to have it again. But yeah, I was mad. That was the, yeah. the drum kit when it arrived up in the house. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know. That's cool. I don't know why you called me up, to be honest. I was no good to him, but we did get it set up. We did get it set up. <laughs> You remember the end sometimes, years. Mm. And then there's this flick back into remembering all of the important stuff that was there, you know? And it's like, you can unpack it and start mm. going, wow, that person was unbelievable. Like, And just, you start to remember and piece together all of the real life stuff, you know? But when you're close to it at the start, and, I, and you know, when I know, like, you know, from experiencing losing people that started so i don't know I, mm. I don't know if it's just that way but you know you're in a bit, a bit of the hole where you just see that that last thing before you fell down the hole you just see that moment and then further you get away maybe you kind of start to go you know i don't know that's how i felt like maybe the last year started to yeah. really think about i was so lucky to have met the lottie and the gratitude of that as well like you know for me that's kind of it like when i think back in it now it's like, Jesus, I'd probably be lost. McGarry and yourself made me learn how to take a joke and, you know, mellow out and actually be like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, it's just a big laugh. You know, it's a bit of a ride and, you know, you should be making the most of the good stuff, you know, and not dwelling on it. And that's the music's for the dwelling and all the, the other stuff, you know, or whatever. Neither here nor there, but that's something I was thinking about. Do you remember, is it Pristine, the track that you wrote? But I had a thought about this was, uh, it was, do you remember Vigar used to say that we were speeding up when we got to the chorus every time? <laughs> and we had, you know, he was, he was getting really annoyed about it. You know, I was like, yeah, you guys, you keep speeding up, you keep speeding up. And I was like, dude, we are not speeding up. Because he had this really complicated riff and it was, it's like it's too yeah. it's too fast for well it wasn't too fast for him but he was like Jesus real pain in the ass to keep this going you know and you need to slow down and then I remember we played it live and I think it was Manning from the Odd Sox came up to me and said I really like what you do with the chorus you slow it really far down <laughs> it's like I told you man I told you. <laughs> friend of mine. He was a priceless part of a community of Sligo musicians that believed that they could do anything with the talents they possessed. At a time in the mid-90s 
Um, we grew up without internet being the norm, I guess. It made us get together and just play, write, laugh, and just living in the moment. Would hope someday we might play our music all over the world. Uh, that drive and passion knew no boundaries. Uh, we played gigs all over Ireland for many years, as well as the self-promoted tour in the States, which we talked about with the guys. We wrote songs that were our own. We sang with heart and gave it our all. Um, unfortunately, as, a, as I've said, Neil passed away uh, October 28th, um, 10 years ago. Um, Neil had that same fire inside him all through his illness, and especially during his final months. Um, he recorded, wrote, jammed, talked about music. We always um, had talked about having a big night for charity with friends and discussions of having one more play of not only the songs we wrote, but our favorite songs that we grew up with, but also just to put a smile on people's faces. So obviously with COVID, we couldn't do that um, right now. Um, we will do it in the future when it's safe again. My ambition uh, would be to raise money for the hospice primarily. Some of the tracks that you have heard on the podcast will actually be available to buy on Bandcamp. Um, pretty much when this goes out, they will be up. There's some there's some tracks of the Burning Shades stuff that we did when we recorded. Um, some of McGarry's solo stuff, um, some demos. Um, so yeah, if, if you buy the album, that would be great because the more money that goes to charity, the better. Um, and also it's just a great way to have something of Neil's that he created. It's just a good way to kind of have a reminder of him whenever you feel like it. So every year, Neil's family has uh, sponsored a swim, and it's called the Sligo Lockhill Hospice Swim. And it's there to raise money for, for the hospice, and also just to keep Neil's memory alive. I would just like to thank uh, Des and Phil and Jer and all of Neil's family for helping me do this. Also, a big shout out to um, Paddy Curley, Kevin Gorman. Stephen Horn, Kevin Kyo, for chatting with me today. The main reason why I did actually want to do this podcast was so people could hear Neil again. He was a very talented musician, and uh, this podcast is dedicated to everybody that knew him, and obviously fans of his music. Um, we might get some new ones. So, um, thanks very much for listening. Um, thanks for everybody helping me out with this. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Yeah, go get buying on Bandcamp. Um, so, until next time, I've been Stephen Cahoney, and this has been an episode of Sligo Sands Podcast. We love you, Neil. Took my pen through